So it's the second to last episode of Maladjusted, and we're going to change up the format a little bit. You're not going to hear me butting in as much, giving some scripted context clues, but instead you're going to hear a conversation between me and three generations of Black SMU students. Yeah, a, a grandfather, a mother, and two daughters. When my friend Nia told me that she knew about these three generations of Black Mustangs, I was blown away. For one thing, I was amazed that the math worked out that even made three generations of students of color possible. I mean, the Civil Rights Act and desegregation of higher education, that's that like just happened in the span of history. But that also means that a student attending SMU in the class of 1960 felt so optimistic about his education that he decided to send his daughter to SMU. And she felt the same, so she sent her daughters to SMU. It's interesting. I've asked a lot of people questions about their optimism for the future, whether they'd recommend the university to students of color, and the responses I've gotten have been kind of dire. One response that really stood out to me was Layla Gullies, and she was one of the founders of the hashtag Black at SMU movement in 2015. She's worried that SMU will never take the step to move beyond the Southern conservative culture that endangers so many people of color. It's a really hard truth to grapple with, and I think Goyla says it well. Yikes, if we start to be accepting of like gay people and black people and Hispanic people, will we no longer attract these, you know, incredibly prestigious white people to our campus anymore? And then if we're so open, we no longer have this reputation of being the conservative Harvard of the South or what have you, then, oh my gosh, is our tuition going to have to go down? And it just, at the end of the day, none of that should be more important than black students or black lives, yet here we are. I mean, no, I cannot, as an alum of this university, recommend that someone spend their hard-earned dollars, and lots of them, mind you, to go to SMU. She makes an important point. SMU has a vested interest in staying the same so we can keep attracting the same kind of people. And think about the way that SMU talks about itself during general enrollment. We don't really talk about our first-generation students or low-income students. I mean, when I took a tour, we talked about the tanning pool, but we didn't talk about, I don't know, multicultural Greek life or affinity organizations, the human rights program. So all that being said, this episode, in a sort of roundabout way, is about optimism. Three generations worth of optimism and hope and investment into SMU's future. Let's see how hope moves, how it's passed from father to daughter to daughters. And on another level, 
let's listen to this family see each other across generational lines for maybe the first time in this way. My name is Shara Jayaraja. I'm a human rights fellow, and this is Maladjusted. Being an SMU Mustang to me means that you adopt the whole spirit of the place and love the campus. Athletics is an important part of this in my there are some things in our nation and the world to which I'm proud to be maladjusted, which I hope all men of goodwill will be maladjusted until the good society is realized. So what follows is probably the coolest conversation I've ever been a part of. This interview was conducted in spring of 2021. And like I mentioned earlier, I made some edits for Clarity. I added some music, but otherwise I really tried to preserve the energy of this conversation. So without further ado. I am Richard E. Stewart, class of 1960. Here are the Stewarts and the Caldwells. I'm Janet Stewart. Caldwell, class of 88. I'm Grace Caldwell, class of 2021. I am Sparrow Caldwell, class of 2023. Reverend Stewart, is that how you prefer to be addressed? Sounds good. Awesome. So when did you first learn about SMU? Well, I was a, a football fan. And SMU had outstanding football teams back in those days. When the School of Theology opened up to allow Blacks to come, I had just finished college and I came to the university with the intent of going, but I wasn't accepted. My grades were not sufficient and uh, they had assumed that I could not handle the uh, school load. So I opted to go into the Air Force and study as much as I could. So then I was accepted uh, later on and I was uh, graduated in uh, 1960. Wow, incredible. And did you have an impression that like by, by attending the school that you were doing something in terms of desegregating the school? Yes, um, they made certain, they made certain that uh, you felt it. Now I had been in the Air Force where everything was fully integrated by law to come to SMU where all the School of Theology was integrated. The rest of the school was not as much on board. So I was in a lonely place in the School of Theology. There were five of us there, and I think two uh, in law school at that time. Was it Dean Cunningham when you attended? Yes, a real saint. Yeah, no, he like deeply expressed that he wanted the students to know what exactly they're doing and the kind of role that they're playing. So did you ever get any impressions of like you had to act within a certain parameter to maintain your place at SMU? No, I had been in the Air Force, right. so 
that had these these other uh, responsibilities, so I did not have the kind of struggle most 22-year-olds would have coming into a school like Perkins. I kind of want to get your story through a number of kind of perspectives since I have the opportunity with all of y'all here today. So I'd love to know, um, Janet and Grayson Sparrow, were there any experiences that your father and grandfather expressed that stood out to you in your decision to attend SMU? I pretty much knew I was going to go to SMU very early on. Um, the, the football fandom, of course, was something that my family did as it was one of our family outings. So we had a lot of you know good, good times with that, but I knew that my father had gone to SMU. I um, you know, heard the stories, I understood um, what it took for him to be able to get into SMU. I understood the sacrifices that he made to be able to do that. And every time he talked about SMU, he talked about it as a blessing and something that really shaped the course of his life. So I knew that this going to college was going to happen for me. And I knew that if I too could go to SMU, that this would be an, an achievement. And I think what shaped it for me was my dad's enthusiasm just as um, a person, right? His alma mater was one. But then I could recognize the value of an SMU education. And I felt prepared because I had grown up in an uh, integrated environment and had gone to school with smart kids and, you know, relatively decent um, style of living, right? So I didn't feel any kind of economic exclusion or even racial exclusion or even academic exclusion, right? So I felt like I could be long. Um, you know, the experiences, if we're going to you know, talk more about that, then, then I can definitely tell you what the experiences were. But there was no doubt in my mind that I could um, thrive at a school like SMU and I had the ability to stand on the shoulders that was already created and that was, my, my dad had done that, so. Wow, so Reverend Stewart, it's really, it, you expressed a lot of enthusiasm about SMU and you had a lot of hope in the, in the experience your kid could have. Is that right? Yes. Um, Jane came to SMU and uh, had quite a career there. She was able to attain onto things which I, I could not. So it was a totally uh, different experience for her. What, what are some experiences that you had that might have distinguished your experience from hers? She was, in a, she was a very, very bright young woman. And she was graduated from a high school which prepared her superbly for college. I'd gone to an all-black school, so I had to adjust to my sisters and brothers of a different race. Uh, she was able to do that very easily. Right. Was that deliberate on your part? Did you want her to feel more prepared to enter that sort of different environment? Yes, they had been reared in a situation in which they had been on par with every other student from 
grandmother is a school teacher. When we were in Dallas, and Jan was in, I guess, the seventh grade or so, the uh, school assumed that she could not handle the classes based on race. Uh, my wife went out and talked to them and convinced them in no uncertain terms, if my daughter fails, that's okay. But don't you fail her. You give her the kind of chance. And so, of course, Dan did extremely well. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible. Y'all are just such an incredible family. Baron Grace, what were your impressions of SMU based on your mom and grandfather's experiences? Well, based on my uh, grandfather and my mother, um, I really saw the effects specifically of an SMU degree. Um, uh, in my grandfather's case, um, the amount of connections that he has made, also specifically directly my mother, um, Every job opportunity that I've seen has come from an SMU connection, uh, pushing her own yoga therapist dreams. The opportunities come from having an SMU degree. And that was something that I really want to do because of what I want to do with my life. I feel like you need to know a lot of people in SMU, like their slogan is legit. <laughs> World changes are shaped here. Prior to going to SMU, I don't know if I knew too much. Um, about SMU, but I feel like now that I'm here, now that I'm just like realizing, you know, how connected people are when they leave SMU and how many connections come from SMU. And then just seeing like, you know, my mom and my grandfather continue to live life and realize that, oh, okay, so they met that person at SMU. Like they always have that connection, I feel like is something I'm starting to see more, so. Grace and Sparrow, bless their hearts. They're being very modest. <laughs> And very supportive, um, but they they pretty much inherited this enthusiasm and this direction for for where to go to school. And while it probably was much more of an option for me, um, their their option was pretty narrow. Um, so so this is how they they ended up at SMU. And um, but what but I want you to take away from that is why it was so important for them to um, attend SMU and matriculate there. Um, one, the experience, of course, of growing up, right? I went in undergrad as a freshman, but the experience of the world, you know, I got to see SMU in um, two lights, right? There's de de definitely the light through the lens of racism, right? Was there racism, you know, back when my dad was there? Is there racism now? Was there racism when I was there? Undoubtedly, yes, right? Um, prejudice alive and well, and, and how was that experienced? You know, from everything to the um, actual flyers that get passed out during rush about African-Americans or black people coming from apes. I don't know if that still happens today. I hope not, but definitely happened, you know, in, in um, situation when I was there. And then um, even down to, you know, uh, girls on the floor talking about, you know, my, my best friend is my maid and, um, you know, hearing that. And then, but then really being able to come to terms with, okay, then that's good because there's a couple of things that, you know, is, is you have exposure 
to Black people, and it's been in a good way. And you realize that I'm not a maid, I'm a student. And you realize that you know how to give respect for your maid, you know how to give respect for any person of color who is here in a working environment or teaching in role here or student peer role. So, you know, it was opportunities of um, sort of turning a little bit of what could be a barrier for me to stay focused on getting my education and realizing, hey, you know, this this is um, a step that I can easily take and, and move forward. But but then, you know, the good things that happened at SMU, too, you know, on that same floor and my dad got sick and um, I didn't have a car. And Leanne, I'll never forget, <laughs> said, you need to go to Richardson? And I said, yeah. She said, just take my car. And I said, what? And she said, yeah, just take my car. And I went, are you kidding me? And it was like a brand new Trans Am. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, just go for it. So, you know, really good experiences, too, where you realized race didn't have anything to do with that. Prejudice, you know, had nothing to do with it. She was just like, oh, you need help? Here, go, you know, here, take my car and have help. So... Anyway, I learned so much about being able to accept those experiences and also being able to navigate when the experience wasn't necessarily like that. I know that Sparrow's involved in ABS, and ABS has kind of been at the forefront of campus racial justice movements. So I was wondering if there's any sort of equivalent when you attended SMU. Yes. Um, so a couple of things. I was I was part of ABS as well. And the I think the things that um, ABS is dealing with today, I think the difference is that the representatives and the students have they can sink their teeth into what it is they want to see happen. And I'm not sure that we we were able to crystallize it as well. And I think that's a benefit of two things. Number one, um, you know, when we were there, it was either really, really egregious, like, you know, a flyer <laughs> saying, go back, go back to Africa, you ape. Or it was extremely so. The crew that is there now has enough traction and history and understanding of what both look like and what the middle looks like. And so they can readily speak to it. That's one. But then two, what has happened most recently this year <clears throat> has just been so blatant that it's it can be spoken to and addressed. And so what I love about um, this, this team of ABS is that they kind of have this swag about, yes, um, let's get these things handled for us as Black students here at SMU, but they're also looking for sustainability and endurability. And they're also looking for inclusiveness. So yes, take care of us and, you know, take care of this for black students here, but don't go mistreating any other students. And, and I love that about, and, and I'm just on the periphery, right? So, so I don't know all the details, but I love that about that energy that is, is happening. Sparrow, I wanted to learn more about how ABS produced those actions over the summer in response to the murder of George Floyd. So ABS made it very clear that 
this was very cyclical. They made these action items that existed in 1969, then they researched in 2015, and now it's 2020. And very similar questions, a lot of the same questions are being asked. So as a third generation student, what were your thoughts on that? The general feel, of course, everything happened kind of back to back. You have Maude Arbery, you have George Floyd, you have Breonna Taylor. Those are all hitting. And the fact that we're in the middle of a global pandemic. So a lot of people have a lot of time on their cell phones, uh, social media. So a specific events or multiple specific events were highlighted. They were exacerbated. They were uh, increased. You feel the emotions more strongly because everywhere you go, you see these issues. And then it made us look into the things that we can change. And we're actually in a position where we can work with the administration. And that actually has come from the progress that uh, my grandfather's generation, my mother's generation had made because the communication line is now open. Was there any sort of unique frustration that you felt that you were writing based on demands that had been presented before? Uh, Yeah, it was tough to recognize that people had put in the same amount of work and the response was not as strong or it didn't seem as probable or likely to actually happen. So that was hard mentally, but we were able to overcome that because the communication line now is stronger. So I feel like, yes, while we were a little frustrated, we were able to set that aside and realize, well, let's just do everything we can and see what happens there. And we're still doing that. I have a quick statement. Um, The difference in this this generation and students is when I was at Perkins, I was essentially a white black man. What I mean by that is you to move from the things which you had always done, which had rewarded you beautifully, to compete in a world in which the responses given had to go beyond what you had experienced and brought to the table. So you had to adjust and function even in the most segregated of places To be accepted, you had to meet the norms of the majority culture. I think that has changed so that now persons of other cultures can function out of what what they are rather than present themselves and function differently from who they are. That was my experience at SMU. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. Whenever there's not a meaningful mass of students that are like-minded or have similar experiences or at least are empathetic to your cause, then you just have to transform. But it's it's like the maladjusted quote. You're no longer maladjusted whenever the world's able to adjust to you. I, I think that we're still a little bit in the struggle. So one of the main reasons that I really wanted to speak to all of you is because I, I wanted to talk about optimism for the future of SMU. In your belief, what is your vision for the future of SMU? Like, do you envision that it'll be like Miss Caldwell, like 
how you sent your kids with the awareness that it's not easy to attend SMU. Will it be like that in the future? And is that acceptable anymore? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, my prayer is that when my grandbabies go to SMU, we get to tell them that it's not easy to attend SMU because of the academic rigor and challenge and because of all of the options you will have and you'll have to decide which path you want to follow and because all of the inclusiveness and welcoming and belonging is going to be so much that it will challenge who you are as you find out who you are because you're going to want to belong into everything. Um, that That is my hope and my dream. And I will tell you, um, my confidence level is that if there were a university in the United States of America that would be able to attain that and make that dream, it would be SMU. Really, I think it's a special place. I agree. SMU can be very special at times. <laughs> uh, I guess what I would hope to see is Black students not having to be freedom fighters and more so the ability to be students on at college on campus like I want people to not have multiple meetings with administration because they want equality they want justice I don't want to see black students have to organize protests on campus uh, just to be treated like everybody else so I'm putting in all this work now I'm, I'm working with ABS we're fighting diligently across all of the umbrella organizations um, we, we're trying, <laughs> and I think that's all you can really hope for. And we're trying to establish something that is long lasting and achieves a goal. And that's that we just want black students to be treated fairly or treated as people. Because at the end of the day, that's all we're that's all we're doing. My mom didn't send me to SMU to create a list of an action plan to work with the administration. My mom sent me to SMU so that I could get my education and I'm doing that, but I also have to do something else. And I don't want people to come after me. I don't want my little cousins, they're gonna be in college within the next 10 years. I don't want them to have to do this. So my hope for the future <laughs> is that black kids can take a break and be kids before they have to be political activists. These bright, young women whom you have seen this day really get everything from their mother and their grandmother. Uh, Jeanette is very, very humble, but it is she who directed the paths for these students. I'm out working and, you know, me going all over the world and she is there with, with the kids directing their paths. So I just want to give her the kudos, the kudos for what she has done in shaping these young women. Believe me, what she did is the only reason that they got into SMU and are able to function and prepare for the days to come.
I'm just gonna go ahead and echo that. My grandmother instilled me with every strong quality that I have today. I can look to her and I see it. So that, Papa is correct. <laughs> That's how we're able to keep moving so hard in this family. Yes, Daddy, you're exactly right. We are definitely here because of Molly. <laughs> Mm. Grandma, any words on this? <laughs> My prayers are being answered. <laughs> it's it's wonderful to know that I've got strong leadership through my daughter and so also through my uh, granddaughters. All we have to do is our best, and we have to discover what best is for us. And sometimes we have to teach people how to love. That's okay. We can do it. <laughs> we can do that. Hey, Shara, I just wanna, um, I just wanna say, thank you so much for um, doing this and, and for giving us the opportunity to participate. Um, when we were talking about this before we got on the call with you, uh, I just wanna express how. Um, we realize in this little lineage here, you know, daddy wanted to go to SMU and he applied and um, he didn't meet the requirements at first. And so he had to hear the rejection of no. And he had to overcome um, what could have prevented him from taking the next step to get prepared to be able to go to SMU you know god giving him the stamina and the determination to just even do it but then realize you know it's his vision and how much you know that seed just got planted and has just really you know coursing through this this particular family and so for you to give us the opportunity to kind of realize it amongst ourselves you know we can kind of take this for granted um I just wanted to thank you and I and I love the project that you're working on and I'm so grateful that um, I mean just being associated with the school and being able to know people like you I'm just very grateful for that so thank you very much for blessing our family with this oh my gosh thank you guys so much I mean honestly I, I'm really feeling it my grandfather recently passed away and he was not he was not like a clergyman or anything, but he was very much, very much reminds me of you, Reverend Stewart. So it's fantastic to get to kind of live in this space that's very familial. And I'm just grateful y'all are being so generous to me. So as we move past this critical point in SMU's history, what's the importance of SMU reckoning with their history with race and racial justice? I think um, I think SMU has an opportunity, and they may already be doing this, and, and I just am not aware of it. But I think SMU has an opportunity to really come to terms economically with uh, investments and support in areas that are going to su support and sustain Black communities. Um, from beginning to end, including education, including reinvestment, including um, the regeneration of, you know, finances and the cycle of it, 
And with the idea that they're talking about and they're thinking about the visionary strength of SMU past these generations. Yes, for sure. I think SMU um, is starting to realize that there is value in recognizing where you've come from and um, creating things for you to keep moving forward. So all the way down to the fact that their athletic programs are more than 75% uh, black and people of color. And this is where you generate most of your money. So you, <laughs> you put in the work and you can value these people for more than just their bodies. So you do that and then you create a community. I don't, the thing is, more good comes from recognizing people as humans than more harm. So that's where they can go with that. And I think they're starting to realize that because society is also shifting. It's not just singular to SMU's campus. The entire world is starting to shift in a way where voices are being heard now and voices are being recognized. So SMU recognizing the world is shifting and implementing that on their campus can be very beneficial for them moving forward. This episode is dedicated to Kenneth De Silva, Papa, my grandfather. Every beautiful thing that I know traces back to him. Everything that we have it was all because he hoped first. Thank you, Papa.